Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. If you are a regular listener to the Beacon Broadcast, then you know that we are coming to the close very quickly of Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. And it is a very fitting conclusion that we find in the final, oh, what about seven or eight verses, as we see Paul's final written words to the church at Corinth, and they are very fitting indeed. We have covered... Paul's statement about his integrity in verse 8, so I won't return to that now except to say that his integrity had been questioned and undermined by critics and false teachers, and Paul simply makes a statement saying, in my life, truth, that is the Word of God, which is truth, so let's say the Word of God is more important than anything else, more important than my health, my wealth, my well-being, my advancement, my popularity, any anything that you can name, my position, all of that is subservient to the truth of God's Word. My, my commitment to the truth of the Bible is what guides my entire life and has ever since my conversion, Paul's integrity. In verse 9, we have Paul's prayer as he prays for the strength of the believers that they might be strong in the faith and for the healthy functioning of the believers, that they may may be complete, that is, equipped to do the work of God, restored in those areas where they have been damaged by sin and by error, but that's not a permanent condition. And restoration is possible, and restoration is the goal, and Paul prays for that in verse 9. And then in verse 10 that we looked at yesterday in the broadcast, we find Paul addressing the question of authority because that too came under the, under the view of his critics who said that he was not very powerful, not very weighty when his physical presence was concerned. And Paul simply said, when I come, as I'm planning to do after you've had time to receive this epistle and to respond to it, When I come, if punishment is due because correction has not occurred, then it is because it is merited. If there is no punishment, it is because you have heeded this epistle. And so either way, Paul's authority is acknowledged and growth will result. It was acknowledged by their submitting to the epistle that he wrote, demonstrating that he has authority given to him by Jesus Christ, which they recognized, or 
if they didn't pay attention to his epistle, then he's going to personally and physically bring correction when he comes, and in that situation, his authority will be recognized. And so leaving that behind, we're going to see some statements about Paul's desire in verses 11 through 13. Stay with me, and we'll take that up on this Wednesday, January 10. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for supporting us. Paul's desire. What does he desire? Five closing exhortations. Number one, verse 11, finally, brethren, (laughs) finally, this is it. The close is coming. Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. He is getting to the close because he is condensing his his desires into short statements, sometimes just a word or two. That's not very characteristic of Paul, but he's getting down to the end. He's trying to get every last word in that he possibly can before closing out the epistle. So what is Paul's desire? Well, first of all, for good spiritual health, he says, finally, brethren, farewell, but that word can also be translated rejoice. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Now, he's already said, become complete previously, be of good comfort previously, be of one mind, and live in peace. And so he says, finally, brethren, rejoice. That is, if all of these things are are, are heeded, if my exhortations to you are heeded, if all of these, these uh, guide, guidelines are put into place in your life, what will, be the rejo- what will be the result? Rejoicing. I know a lot of Christians, you may be one of them, who don't seem to manifest much joy at all in their Christian lives. Now, many times, almost always, they will attribute that to difficult circumstances I have had such a hard time with this. I've had such a hard time with that. I've had such a hard time with my health. I've had such a hard time with the death of a loved one. I've had such a hard time uh, making ends meet, and on and on and on it goes. And those are real trials. They're not to be ignored or passed over lightly. They are real trials which all of us face at one time or another in life. But in all of them, we can rejoice in the Lord if we will rejoice in the Lord. And if we don't seem to be able to do that, then there must be something amiss. Listen to me. There must be something amiss. I'm not saying, for example, if you've lost a loved one, you should be dancing and singing and, and acting delighted the day after the funeral. I'm not saying that at all. Obviously, there is an appropriate amount of grief. Jesus himself wept at the grave of Lazarus, even knowing that he was going to resurrect him, but entering into the sorrow and grief that he shared with the loved ones, the relatives of Lazarus, who were also filled with grief. There's nothing wrong with grieving appropriately. There is something wrong, listen to me, with grieving endlessly. If you don't have joy because your 
spouse passed away three or four years ago. If you don't have joy because you lost a child, a son or a daughter, or maybe a grandchild several years ago, and you just can't get over it, you just can't get on with life, you just can't get back into active Christian service, you just can't do that because this great grief has consumed me and I just can't get over it. What I'm saying to you is, it's not just that circumstance that is weighing you down. It is that you are not responding to it in a biblical way. You are allowing it to dominate your life, which it should not do. You are ignoring the instructions of God's Word as to how Christians are to live and to interact with other believers in the body of Christ and to draw strength from the Word of God, to put place themselves under a good ministry of the Word, to find themselves daily reading the Word and spending time in prayer and tending to their spiritual state and confessing their sins and getting on with life. God hasn't left you here to mope and grieve and be incapacitated, unable to function month after month and year after year so that you can never rejoice in the Lord. God hasn't left you here for that. But God has left you here, you are here, and he, you are here for a reason, and God has a purpose for your being here. God wants you to serve him in the place, in the circumstances, in the location, in the relationships where God has placed you, and you ought to be able to do that. You ought to be able to rejoice in the Lord, in your salvation, in the blessings that God has given, in all of the resources which God has provided for you. You ought to be able to rejoice. And if you cannot, then there is something else, something else besides the circumstance that you're pointing to as the reason why you can't do that. There's something amiss in your spiritual life. You are, frankly, not in good spiritual health. Because believers who are in good spiritual health get over these trials and disappointments and difficulties in life. I watch it in my own congregation. Someone has lost a spouse. That's a very difficult thing, and I, I'm concerned for them, and I encourage them, and I pray for them, and if they don't start showing some improvement in their emotional health after the passing of a few weeks, or at the most, a few short months, then I begin to be concerned. I'm not concerned if they are struggling for a month or two or three, but if it goes on four, five, six, one year, two years, three years, then I know that what has happened is, and here's what you need to understand, what has happened is that circumstance that you think is the reason why you can't recover your 
spiritual equilibrium. You've been knocked off balance and you just can't get back on balance and you act as if it's impossible for you ever to get back on balance or in balance, however you want to say it. I am aware that if that is the case, what, what, what has really happened is that circumstance has uncovered other problems that up until now may not have been evident. But they are now becoming evident, not because those other problems are waving a flag, but because your inability to deal with a normal circumstance of life tells me that you have other problems that have not been addressed. They've been going unaddressed, no doubt, for a long time, probably for years, and you have not been in good spiritual health and were not in good spiritual health when that loved one died. The death of a loved one, what I'm saying to you, I'm saying it to you again, the death of a loved one is a common occurrence for those who live long enough to experience that particular aspect of life. It's going to happen to all of us if we live long enough. And it's not impossible to overcome it. You can rejoice if you are in good spiritual health. So, in essence, when Paul says in verse 11, finally, brethren, farewell, he's saying, finally, brethren, become complete, become perfected, function harmoniously, be of good comfort, be of good cheer, be of one mind, live in peace, all the things that he's told them before. And if you do that, you will be able to rejoice. Let's see the evidence of good spiritual health. Finally, rejoice. That's my parting word to you. Rejoice. Until tomorrow, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.